Amen. Good morning. Praise God. Hey, how many were at our, uh, Pastor Philip mentioned our first things first. It was three nights culminating our 21 days of prayer and fasting. How many at least came to one night? Let me just see your hand right here. Okay, and then Wednesday night was powerful. Pastor Jabin Chavez preached the word. And the, how many were all three nights? Come on, keep your hand. And you're here back again today four times in like five days. You need a big hand right there. Awesome, awesome. How many are spiritual hungover right now? Jesus' name, amen. I don't know anything about that, but how many are glad to be in the presence of God? Come on, say hi to your neighbor on both sides. Say, what's up, 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 what's up? Good to have you here today. By the way, before we get into the word, grab your Bibles there, turn to the book of Luke chapter 9. Luke 9 also holds your place in Matthew chapter 28. Luke chapter 9, Matthew chapter 28. How many actually have like a... A, like a real Bible, like pages, and come on, you got, go ahead, and, I, I love that sound, that's why you can't make it on a phone or an iPad, so I just, come on, go ahead and make my favorite sound right there, Luke chapter 9, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew 28, Luke 9, we're going to start in Luke 9, then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28, as you're turning there, let me just give you a quick update uh, on my health, uh, some of you know a year ago, I was uh, diagnosed with multiple myeloma. It's been a year of uh, a lot of tests and a lot of blood work and uh, CT scans, uh, chemotherapy. I had a bone marrow transplant three and a half months ago. And then so I had a biopsy about two weeks ago. And then it, it was sent out and then it came back. And just to let you know, thank you for your prayers. But talked to the doctor via Zoom last week and he said the cancer is in remission. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So uh, no, no trace of the multiple myeloma. So I, I really I thank you for your prayers and your concern and your cards. And it really has meant a lot to me. We have other people in our church that have cancer. Keep praying for them. But uh, so I said, what's the next step? He said, well, instead of driving to Duarte, I just go to Thousand Oaks uh, every, I don't know, six to eight weeks, do a little blood work. And then I'm on a maintenance drug. And I got to go back to Doherty just one time, probably in about three or four months from now, to get all of my childhood vaccines again because the chemo wiped out like the chicken pox and measles and all that. So, uh, but after that, I don't have to go down to City Hope and Doherty probably just like once a year for uh, upkeep and stuff like that. So, thank you again for your prayers, your concern, your cards, your texts, your emails. It's really uh, got me through this storm. And I know this, God's going to get you through your storm as well. Do you believe it? In Jesus' name, amen. So, thank you for praying. And uh, I don't, honestly, I don't really want to talk about it too much after. It's behind me. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And the latter days are going to be greater than our former days. Amen? Amen. I was just stalling for you to get at Luke chapter 9. And I sent, I've been doing this a long time. I kind of sense a little mellowness in the room. And remember, uh, this is a two-way uh, preaching Seminar. So I, I do my part, I'll preach, and I got to hear some amens and hallelujahs, and otherwise I'm going to get nervous and get out of here. So uh, you, ready, you ready to dive into the word? I know there's somebody brand new. You weren't here last week or the week before, but this is week number four in our series called Essentials. We're looking at like, what are the things that I need to be about in 2023 and moving forward? What are like, Pastor Steve, if you were to say like, these are the top things that I need to focus on this year, what should it be? So we talked week number one. Uh, we talked about the importance of the Word of God. How many have been doing a better job diving into God's Word? Let me see you. Good. So 13 people. That's great. That's awesome. Excellent. 
And uh, week number two, we talked about uh, the priority of prayer and seeking the face of God. And then last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We had people come up forward to get prayed for, uh, just to get filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. It, how many were here last Sunday? It was awesome. It was awesome. And we went a little over in the time, and God was moving. That was great. That took us right into three nights of services, and I'm ready for today as well. And uh, still have a little cold right now, but uh, I'm getting through it, and I'm fired up to preach. Stand to your feet for the reading of the Word of God. Today I want to talk about discipleship. Someone say discipleship, discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Uh, What does it mean to be a devoted follower of Him? And uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. I'm reading out of the NIV translation. And uh, I just ask you to follow along and then I'll pray and then we'll dive into the message. Are you ready? I'm ready to go. Say go. Then he, Jesus, said to them all, and I'm looking at my Bible, which is a red-letter edition, so that means this is the words of Jesus talking, muy importante. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Can I pray? Can I pray? Lord, thank you for the people of God and the word of God and the spirit of God. And we sense your presence in this place. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that speaks to us and through us. and We're thank, thankful for the book that we hold in my, our hand because men and women have died, have given their blood so we can hold this book in our hand. So we don't take it lightly. We don't take it for granted. It's a privilege to open up your word. And we are here to hear the Holy Spirit speak. We're not excited to hear a message from a messenger because we say it all the time, the messenger is nothing. We're fired up about the message, so speak to us through the message of your word. And God, I particularly just want to pray another prayer. Thank you for answering my prayer last week as it relates to the Cincinnati Bengals. And they were victorious, and I was concerned, but you showed yourself faithful. And they play again today at 3 o'clock, and you can do it again, Lord. So I pray a spirit of confusion over Patrick Mahomes. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said. You may be seated there, sorry. I was kind of shocked we won, but I was excited we won. One more game, back to the Super Bowl we go. Hallelujah. Hey, I want to talk to you about two things. Write down this first one. Number one, I want to talk about the definition of discipleship. Write it down, the definition. Someone said the definition. And uh, I want you to turn now, I asked you to hold your place in Matthew chapter 28. I want to talk about the definition of discipleship, and then we're going to talk about the demands of discipleship. Matthew chapter 28, very familiar passage of scripture, Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20. I'm going to read that in just a second. The definition, come on, say it one more time, the definition, the definition, the definition. We're going back to Matthew chapter uh, 28 where, let me just give you a little background. This is the only meeting that Jesus had. Most of you know he died on the cross. Three days later he rose again. How many know that he came back again for 40 days? And he hung out with his disciples. And he only had one meeting with his disciples. And he went up on a mountain. And he gave them their final marching orders. 
So it's the only meeting that he had in the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. And uh, we find it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And here's his final marching orders to the disciples. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mount where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, some what? By the way, it's interesting that even spending time with the presence of God, the Son of God, the literal Son of God with you for three and a half years, still some doubted. That gives me hope. Then Jesus came to them and said, here it is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So check this out. There's actually three people up on the mountain to get these final marching orders. So, so we find in verse 16, there's 11 disciples. That's group number one. How come there aren't 12 disciples? Does anybody know why? Because Judas hung himself, right? So now we're down to 11 disciples. There's a second group up on the mountain. They're, find, they're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because it says that there were 500 other disciples that were up on the mountain when Jesus gave his final marching orders. Group number one, 11 disciples. Group number two, the 500 found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But there's one other group found in verse 20 that if you read through it, we've already read through it, you didn't even catch it. It says, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded and surely I am with you always to the very what? End of the age. How many know that the end of the age hasn't happened yet? So guess who else is up on the mountain? You're up on the mountain. I'm up on the mountain. So we got the 11 disciples on the mountain. You got 500 disciples up on the mountain. But you and I are up on the mountain. So how about this? Why don't we mosey up on the mountain and find out what Jesus Christ has to say to us about this thing called discipleship? Are you ready? Are you ready? Notice the first thing he says is, I want you to... Go. Someone say go. By the way, do you know every single word in the Bible is very important? Do you know that? Nod your head. Okay. Very important. So the word go is important. I looked it up in the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and Spanish, and Tagalog. You know what it means? Go. Yeah, that's what I do all week in my study. I, I find out important things like that. It means to go. It means to don't stay. That's the assignment. In two weeks, I'm going to talk about the importance of evangelism. Listen, if our church and us as individuals is not a biblical post office where we go out and deliver the good news of Jesus Christ, we're going to see millions of people going to hell and eternity separated from God. How many you know, if there were only three post delivery people, was that what they call, I don't know what they call, mail carriers. Imagine if there's only three or four for the whole county of Ventura. How many know that the mail would get backed up and you wouldn't get your mail like maybe once a month, once a year? And we can't just reserve it to three or four pastors on a staff. We are all called to go. Notice what the, what the text says, go and do what? It doesn't say go and make Christians. Go and make what? What is a disciple? It's a follower. It's an imitator. It's a learner of Jesus Christ. Most of you know I played basketball at Moore Park College. A couple of years ago I went back to the college for a game brought my family and kids, and I saw my old equipment manager. He was still there. And that was like in 1913 or something. I can't remember when I played, a long time ago. And I still, I'm like, hey, Tommy, what's up? And my kids were there, and then they kind of ran off. And, and uh, he said, were those your kids? And I said, yeah. And he said, he's talking about my son. He goes, I, I knew that was your son. I said, how? He said, he looks like you. He talks like you. He walks like you. He's good looking like you. 
He didn't say that, I added that. Uh, I knew that was your son. How do we know that we're sons and daughters of God? We look like him, we talk like him, we're compassionate like him, we forgive like him, we care like him, we're bold like him. See, people should be able to look at our lives and say, there is something different about that person. They might not know what it is, but someone at work might say, you know what? There's something different about, they should be ticked off right now. They got diagnosed with something. They should be worried and anxious. I don't know. There's something. They must be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? So he says, go out into all the world and make disciples. And check it out. It is our responsibility as a church to make disciples. And we're going to do that. We're going to have classes. And we'll hopefully we'll get back to training for life. And we got life groups and all these things. And we're going to preach the gospel on Sunday. And we're doing our best to do it. But I mean, no, the invitation to make disciples isn't for the, the local church. It's for the local individual. Parents, are you ready for this? Do you know that's your assignment to disciple your kids? Don't, listen, please don't think you could drop your kids off for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning and they're going to be discipled. You can't expect that for, we got them 90 minutes a week that we're going to make disciples of your kid. It's your responsibility. Check it out, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach other people. So you're, you're called to disciple your kids, your great-grandkids, the people at work, your friends, kids at school. We're all called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's a good place to say amen. amen. Now I want to spend most of my time on the second thing, the, the demands of discipleship. Back to Luke chapter 9, the demands. And the demands are intense, let me just say. The demands are intense. We're going to look at one verse in just a second, but the demands, someone say demands. I love this uh, true story, a guy, a farmer... Uh, he put an ad in the classified section of the newspaper, and here's what he put in. It says, a farmer with 160 irrigated acres wants to marry a beautiful woman with a tractor. When replying, please show a picture of the tractor. That's funny. I mean, he, he really didn't want a woman to marry. He wanted a woman to use. In fact, he didn't want the woman. He wanted the tractor. You know, there's a lot of people that don't really want Jesus. I mean, they, they want him to give them a job and they want to raise at their work and they want him to give them health and, and, and a house and a condominium and a spouse. And they don't really want to follow Jesus. They, they want the blessing of Jesus. They want the accoutrement of following Jesus. They want, they want to go to heaven. They want the fire insurance, but they don't really want to follow the Lord. They want the benefits of him. They want the blessing of him. And check out, here, here's the, the commands again. In verse uh, uh, 23 of Luke chapter 9, here it is. The demands are, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. So I, I just want to tell you what discipleship is. Because you could be going to church your entire life, 30, 40 years, and you never knew. And these aren't my demands. These are his demands. There's three of them. Ready? Number one, write this first word down, deny. Deny. Someone say deny. deny. He says you got to, number one, deny yourself. Look, look at me, we live in a world right now where it's all about self-indulgence. You deserve a break today. Have it your way. Listen, go, go to Barnes & Noble today. Go to the self-help section. There's a billion books. And they'll all tell you, you're awesome. You're amazing. And you can open up and chapter one is going to be like, here's what you need to do. Every single morning, get in front of the mirror and just tell yourself, you're awesome. You're incredible. And guess what? I'm not awesome. I'm not incredible. And the reason why I got saved in 1985, because I was sick of my sorry self. 
I was tired of my own failures and my own frustrations and, and my own inadequacies. And, and so I needed someone, Jesus Christ, because my life wasn't going that great. Romans 7, 18, it says, I know that in me nothing good dwells. I know there's somebody here like, oh, good. is this like one of those churches where they're like in your business and they interfere with everything? Come on, honey, grab your purse, Martha, and let's go to, let's go to New Life Comfortable Church. Let's go to, to Community Convenient Church. Let me just say this, New Life will never be a church like that. I mentioned it, first things first. Listen, one of the problems in the 90s, early 2000s was something called the church seeker-sensitive movement. And I was telling the group on Thursday night, here, here's how it started. Pastors would go door-to-door, -door, knock on non-believers. Are you non-Christian? Yeah, yeah. And how come you don't go to church? Well, I just think the music is like, I don't know, I just want like a bunch of feel-good songs. Okay, good, feel-good songs. Next door to How come you don't go to church? Well, I think the services are too long. I mean, 90 minutes, that's a long time. And so uh, how long? Well, uh, six, I would prefer 60 minutes. 45 would even be better. Okay, good, 45 minutes. And they better have coffee and comfortable seats. And, and so we built a whole movement called the seeker-sensitive movement about what non-Christians want. And I was telling the group on Thursday night, the purpose of church on Sunday morning is not, listen, we hope non-Christians come and they get saved, but it's for the believer. It's for the believer. So we're not going to just sing a bunch of feel-good songs. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to talk about discipleships. We're going to contend for all that God wants. Can I get an amen in the house? Listen, Jesus said you gotta, you got to deny yourself. And I don't, I don't know about you, but when you follow Jesus, man, he interferes with every area of your life. You know what I'm talking about? Like in the old, I, I would just cuss, I wouldn't even think about it. And then I got saved and I'd cuss and the, like the Holy Spirit would check you. Some of you still cuss and it's because your conscience is seared. But anyhow, that's another sermon. You know what I'm talking about? You, you kind of get a little angry at your spouse, you lose your temper. It's never happened to me. My, my wife does it all the time. She loses her temper all the time. You know what I'm saying? The Lord's like, no, 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 no. You're going to go and apologize for that. Kind of disrespect your parents. And if you're a believer, man, God checks you. You're at work and kind of get a little shady. Kind of come in late. Nobody's going to know. Leave early. And I mean, the Holy Spirit's all over your business. He is constantly interfering with your life. And he says, I want you to deny yourself. Do we have anybody in the room that's engaged? Engaged. You're about to get married. Engaged. All the way over there. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, cool. We got two couples. How many would like to get engaged someday? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah. Keep your hand up. Okay, row one over here with the, like row nine. That'd be good. Okay. Right, keep your hand up. And I'll set you up right now in Jesus' name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're gonna get engaged, right? And you're gonna, and, and I don't know when the wedding's gonna be. There's two couples that raised their hand, and you're gonna have a pastor, and you're gonna be at a church service or a park or a beach or something, and then they're gonna exchange the vows, right? And the pastor is going to say something along these lines. Forsaking all others till death do you part. Huh? That's what they said when my wife and I got married. And I'm like, yeah, forsaking all others. Now imagine you're getting engaged and they get to that part and the groom's like, they, the pastor says, and forsaking all others. And the groom's like, oh, 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 oh. 30-second time out here. Did you say Forsaking all others? Yeah, forsaking all others. I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for all others. 
I, I might be able to do some others or most others. And, and then I, I thought you also said something about like, till death do us part. I might be able to, I, I mean, I might be able to not cheat on her for like a year or a couple of years or two, but a whole lifetime? I mean, if your fiance about to be husband is asking questions to the pastor about forsaking, how many know you are out of there in Jesus' name? Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. I'm out of there. Why? Why? Why, ladies? Why? Because marriage is an exclusive relationship. Jesus, serving him, is an exclusive relationship. He says you need to deny everything and follow me. Can I get an amen in the house? You ever see, I, I love these uh, infomercial commercials. A guy comes on, he's just like all cut, six-pack like I have. Uh, no, he has six-pack and he's just like holding a, a pill and he's like, you want, you want abs like this? And he says, take one of these pills every day. You don't have to work out. Eat whatever you want. And in 90 days, you'll look just like me. How many have seen something like that, right? So, like, when you see that, what do you think? Some of you are like, I want to buy the pills. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, you, listen, you should be skeptical. Come on, I can, I can eat whatever I want and not exercise and look like this guy? There's no way. So in case a pastor never told you, I'm telling you, to be a follower of Christ, you need to deny yourself. Listen, there is no salvation without full surrender to Jesus Christ. There is no eternity without being born again. I'm preaching better right now than you're responding. And you got to be all in. He said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Number two, here's the second thing. Deny, deny. Number two, die. Die. Take up their cross daily. It means dying to your ideas, your ambitions, your purposes, solely living for the cause of Christ. That's interesting because I, uh, I kind of signed up for the make Jesus your choice and drive a Rolls Royce. Where's that at? It's not in the Bible. Probably some Tony Robbins seminar that you went to. Your, your life might get more complicated, might get more difficult, might be more costly. I love this in, in the early 1900s, those missionaries. We don't even send missionaries anywhere. I was telling the group the other night that in 200 nations of the world, the USA is one of 17 nations where the gospel is not growing. It's growing in China, Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq. It's not growing. It's de in fact, other countries are sending missionaries to America. But 100 year plus years ago, we would have missionaries sent out, and they called it, listen, they called them one-way missionaries. They bought a ticket. They were just going one way, and they didn't pack their stuff in a suitcase. True story. They packed all their stuff in a coffin. And they'd go off port, and they'd be gone for the rest of their life, and they'd give their life for the gospel. One guy, he was a pastor by the name of A.W. Milne. He packed all of his stuff in a coffin, took off to the South Pacific, an island called New Hebrides. And he got there. And before he got there, the, the tribe there, the, the village men, they, they, they were headhunters. They were cannibalists. And they killed every other missionary that went. But this guy's like, dude, I got everything packed. I'm not scared of anything. I'm going. And he gave his life for 35 years. He led the entire tribe to life in Christ. Check this out. Check this out. When he died after 35 years, he converted the whole tribe to Christ. They buried him in the middle of the village, which was a place of honor. And they put a little epitaph next to it, and here's what it said. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. 
That is so awesome. That is, he's just like, I'm putting all my stuff in a coffin. If I have to die for Jesus Christ, I'll do it. Love that. Listen, I'm not saying you might die physically, although this last year in 2022, 5,600 people all over the world lost their life because of their faith. But I'm going to say you might, you might be out of the family. You might be out of the will. You might lose your job or your reputation. Again, it might not get easier. They lied to me when I got saved. I went into a room like that. They said, go to that room. They're going to pray for you. All your problems are going to go away. It's going to be awesome. And I went in there and I, I realized like eight hours later they lied to me. I still had problems. It might not be better. It might get worse for you. But bring it on. Think about kamikazes in World War II. 18 to 24-year-old young men that are basically saying, I'm getting in an airplane and I'm going to take my airplane into a ship. I know that I'm going to die. But th there was such honor for dying for your country and for your emperor. You know the Muslim extremists that took down our towers at 9-11? They, they knew getting on the plane, their life was over. Do you know there are thousands of them waiting in line to do the exact same thing for the false gospel? Remember this picture, if you're old like me, in 1989, this single guy stood in front of four or five tanks in defiant of the Chinese Communist Party. He's like, run me over if you want. Listen, do you know of all the disciples, let me just go through them. James was killed by a sword. Luke was hung from an olive tree in Greece. Thomas was pierced with a spear, spear tortured and burned alive in India. Philip was tortured and crucified. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James the Just was thrown off a pinnacle in Jerusalem. Simon the Zealot was crucified in AD 74. Judas, the other Judas, was beaten to death with sticks. Matthias was stoned to death and beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Only the disciple John was the only one to die a natural death. So all of the disciples actually literally believed the passage that I just read to you. They literally believed it. At least we can believe it figuratively. That it's going to cost us something for following Jesus Christ. Deny. Devotion. I, I love this uh, passage in John chapter 6. You can read it later. The whole chapter. Basically Jesus says this to his disciples. If you, don't eat my uh, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciple. I'm like, huh? Basically, he's talking about if you, if you can't die for me, if you can't surrender to me, if, you can't, if, you, if you're not willing to get persecuted for me, you can't be my disciple. It's pretty heavy. What's interesting, the very last verse in John chapter 6, it says, and many disciples turned away and departed from him. They're like, that's too, that's too, that's too intense. I ain't doing that. I just want to come to church on Sunday morning. You know what's interesting to me? All those people that turned their back on Jesus Christ, he didn't, he didn't say, okay, hey, God, I was just kidding, just kidding. He didn't lower the standard. No, he just said, if you're not willing to die for me, if you're not willing to be persecuted for me, if you're not willing to suffer for me, you're really not my disciple. Deny, die. Here's the third thing, devotion. He says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. What is a, what a, what is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ look like? You guys know that I'm in sports and stuff, so I started thinking about what, what, is a, what is a casual sports fan look like and what is like a committed diehard sports fan look like? What does a casual Christian look like and what does a devoted Christian look like? And here's a couple of things I wrote down. You might want to write these down. Number one, real devoted followers of Jesus, are you ready for this? 
they arrive early. So we had, we had a couple in the last service, a big 49er fan, big 49ers. And they told me Thursday night, they said, hey, we usually go to the 11, but we're going to the 9 o'clock because the 49ers play at noon. And we don't want to miss a game. That's what real fans do. They tweak their schedule a little bit to make sure they don't miss the game. They tweak their schedule on Sunday morning to make sure they get to church on time. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't emergencies come up, but it cracks me up. Like I'm up here halfway through my sermon and people still coming through the doors. I'm like, you're an hour late? Come on, this is the, this is the house of God. And listen, we're not, just, we're not just playing a game here. We are encountering the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have, we have people in our church that are like, well, I don't really go to the worship. I don't really like worship. I'm not into singing and stuff. I just show up for the message. But you got to know, the singing part, it's not an appetizer. Do you know that? Like, God can save you in the middle of worship. Nobody even gives you an invitation, but God can encounter you. I mean, he can speak to you. He can give you a prophetic word. He can heal you. He can deliver you. So listen, real fans get to church on time. We arrive early. And check it out. You know what I've discovered? Like when I'm at a game and the, the game goes in overtime, I'm like, cool. Right? You, you pay 100 bucks for it. It goes into overtime or triple overtime. Awesome. And when the church service goes a little longer, like last week, it's okay. How many people are just like, when does this thing get over? And it's seriously, it's like the 40-minute message. We force, we got another song and I, I got it. Number two, I wrote down this. Real fans rarely miss a game. You know, the biggest attendance church-wide in the history of the United States was the Sunday after 9-11. Everybody's like, I better get to church. That's scary. Then we start getting comfortable, and then a couple weeks go by, ah, I could sleep in. I've heard people... I was going to come, but it's, it's cold outside. 49, we're like, it's free. I, I'll just watch, watch service online. I don't know, it's just so windy, and I just got my hair done. And... Now, we rarely miss a game. Years ago, my wife and I went to a conference in Florida, and we thought, let's spend a couple days on the back end. We went to North Carolina, I wanted to check out Elevation Church. And so we went to Elevation Church, it was amazing. And the next day we rented a car, drove down to New Spring Church in South Carolina. I think at the time there were about 30,000 people. They had a Sunday night service at six o'clock. So they had a couple Saturday night, three or four on Sunday, Sunday night. So driving the car, it was raining so hard. I had to pull the car off of the freeway. I I couldn't see like three feet in front of me. Pulled the car off. It kind of slowed down a little bit, made our way to the church. It was pouring. I'm talking, I'm talking pouring. I'm like, I ain't going out right now. We sat in the car. You can ask me. We sat in the car for 15 minutes, finally get a knock on the door. And one of the ushers came with an umbrella. Hey, we'll get you in. So we went inside. And I'm thinking, nobody, nobody's coming to church. This is crazy. So I met a guy and he's all, hey, where are you guys from? California. What do you do? I'm a pastor. He's all, really? 
I want to give you a kind of a private tour. He took us on a private tour, and he's in front of me. He's got his phone. He goes, hey, don't tell your wife. Don't tell your wife. He goes, but check this out. And I looked at it, and he's all, a tornado's coming. It's, head, it's heading right to us. He's all, but we're going to be good. So we went on this little tour. Six o'clock Sunday night. I'm, I'm thinking nobody's going to show up. There was probably 2,000 people there. And I'm in there for the worship, and they have one of these metal uh, roofs, and the, the rain was so, it was like BBs off of a brick. Bah, 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 bah. And a tornado coming, and people were like, oh, I'm, I ain't going anywhere, man. I'm in the house of God. Amen. 1967, look at, this, look at this picture. 1967, they called it the Ice Bowl. Super Bowl between the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Ready? Temperature was minus 15 degrees, but with the wind, minus 48. Now listen, listen. They invited the University of Wisconsin, their marching band, to come at halftime and play. Several of the band members' lips got stuck to their instrument because it was so cold. The, the referees, they, they couldn't blow their whistle because it was frozen. Several band members were taken to the emergency room with hyperthermia. Unfortunately, one elderly guy died. My, can you imagine minus four? Like, I like football, but minus 48? No, thank you. You want to know how many people were at the game? Over 50,000 people weathered the storm. I started to think about what if it was a, a Christian speaker that was speaking that day and it was minus 48? I wonder if anybody would have showed up. See, real devoted fans. They're at church. Listen, unless you're sick or out of town, you should be in the church of God every single Sunday. Do we have any parents in the room, parents? And I want to I speak into your life right now. You do not give your kids a choice to come to church. I, I know, I, I know. All the kids are squirming right now. Get me out of this. No, 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 you don't give a choice. Do you do that tomorrow morning, Monday morning? Hey, Johnny. Johnny, today, uh, tomorrow's, uh, it's Monday. You got school today. I don't feel like it. Not in the mood. Okay. Okay, Johnny, it's okay. I'll check again tomorrow. Johnny, Johnny, you missed yesterday. You ready to go? No, I don't feel good. I hate school. Okay, what you, is that what you do? Or do you say, no, get your butt in the car. We're going. Listen, church, you don't, you don't pray about if you should take your family to church. You don't discuss it on Saturday night. You say, no, get your rear end in the car. As for me and my house, we are going to church. And all the parents said. And listen, I want to say that if you have young people, not only should they be here on Sunday morning, you need to have them here every single Wednesday night. Junior high, high school, they're here in the, yeah, but they don't really, man, if I make my kids go to church, there's going to be like a war. Fire the first bullet. Start the war. And I know, I was a youth pastor. They come and they're just like, stupid dude. But I'll tell you, God can get a hold of their sorry little self during the service. True or false? You get them in the house of God. You get them in the house of God. And all the parents said amen. They rarely miss a game. Number, the other thing I wrote down, they want the best seat in the house. You might not be able to afford the best seat at Dodger Stadium, but if you could, wouldn't you want to sit right behind the catcher? I will not go to a game when I have to sit way up. You know what, like way in the nosebleed section? And you look down and you're like, you can't even tell who's at bat. Is the Dodgers up? 
or the Cardinals, because the guy looks like this big. Forget, I ain't going. I want to sit up close to the action. When you come to church, get here. Fight for the front row. Get in the presence of God. Man, go after the best seat. Because I know that when I'm sitting all the way in the back and everybody's moving a kid, driving around, it's just it's distracting. We'll have a guest speaker next week, all right? Here's, a, here's a, two more things. Real fans memorize statistics. We have any cowboy fans? Sorry about the loss, but any cowboy fans? Come on, cowboys? Okay. So let me just ask you a couple questions. Starting quarterback is Dak Prescott. Uh, you got two great uh, running backs, but I'm number 21 and Zeke, Pollard and Zeke. And Zeke played at the Ohio State University, right? And where does, where do the Cowboys play their home games? AT&T State in Arlington, Texas, right? Who's the owner of the Cowboys? Jerry Jones. And they might not know this because they're out of town, but, but every summer, every summer, they come to Ventura County and they practice for three weeks in what city? Why? How, how do you know all that? Because they're fans of the Cowboys. People are like, do you love the Lakers? Who's your best player? Uh, 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 Larry, Larry James? What are their colors? Um, I think they're uh, green and white. No, no. Where do they play their home games? Uh, San Bernardino? No, you can say all you want about what Laker fan you are. If you don't know any of the players, you don't know where they play, you don't, you're not a Laker fan. If you're a follower, like, should, shouldn't you know something about this book right here if you're a real follower of Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about anybody that's new to the cross. I'm talking about you've been going to church like three years. You don't know any of the basic stories. You don't know theology. You don't, you're like, I'm just not really good at memorizing. Yes, you are. I'll prove it. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Saturday in the park. Every, wait, wait, it, like so, some of you, some of you are like walking Wikipedia's. I mean, like you know, you've seen every Office episode. You can you, every stat. You know, you know everything about this and that movie and Dumb and Dumber, and you can quote all that. And we don't know anything about the Bible. Listen, I'm, listen, I'm just asking a question. Are you really a fully devoted follower of Christ if you don't really know anything about the book, having been a Christian for three or five years? Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them. And they were the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Jabin mentioned on Wednesday night, three times the enemy was tempted. What did he say? It is written, it is written, it is written. So we should know something about this book if we're fully devoted followers. I'll give you one last thing because you look really mad at me. Real followers compared to like fake fans, they don't, they don't really care what people think. You ever seen at the game like Green Bay, it's like eight degrees and there's no shirt on. And I'm not picking on Raider fans, but like some of the stuff they wear, like, and we don't look at that and go, dude, he's, that's awesome. He's like a real fan. Like, and then people like raise their hands or dance at a service. They're like, dude, you are weird. You know what? I don't really care what you think. I'm going to shout. I'm going to dance. I'm going to be all in for Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you think. That's a, that's a real fan. Fake, fake Christians are always concerned about what people think. And you know what? 
Proverbs 29, 25 says that uh, the fear of man brings a snare. You're so concerned about what people think about you all the time. No, real fans don't care what you think. I remember when I was, I don't know, six or seventh grade, I was into skateboarding and surfing, and then I was really into baseball card collecting, all into it. And then my friend was into tropical, he was collecting like all these tropical fish, so I got into an aquarium, I was into tropical fish for like a year. I know, it's weird. Most of you know, most of you know my, I was heavily into punk rock, seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th grade. I went to the whiskey, I did a stage dive, nobody caught me, I hit my head. And security threw me out the back. And I was into it, like punk, punk rock, surfing. You know what? Nobody ever said anything about any of that stuff. Then I got saved, and I went all in for Jesus. People were like, dude, are you like in a cult or what? Nobody cared that I was into fish and punk rock and surfing, but all of a sudden I got fired up for Jesus, and they're like, I don't know, Steve's kind of weird now. You know what? I don't care what you think. God's changed my life. God's healed me. God's delivered me. God's set me on a new path. So in 1985, check it out, 19, I went all in for Jesus. It wasn't like, well, I kind of put my hand up and I don't want anybody. No, 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 I went all in for Jesus. 1986, I said no to some college basketball scholarships to go to Bible college in Echo Park, California. You know where Echo Park is? I was raised in Westlake Village. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, all, in. I'm all in, Jesus. So I went to Bible college there. 1989, I went all in and got married to my wife. 1990, I went all in and we were youth pastors in Matura. 1997, we went all in and we started a church called New Life Community Church. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be all in. We're just like, oh, I'm kind of one foot in the world, kind of one foot, kind of come to church on Sunday, but I party on Friday night. No, you got to be all in. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. The nice preacher will be back next Sunday. Heads bowed and your eyes closed, please. Someone just say, thank you, Jesus. Let's say it one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, I thank you for people that can handle tough messages. Because, God, you know I've had friends that said, man, if I did that at my church, it would be over. Thank you for the people of new life that can handle tough stuff. Keep the lights up, would you please? Thank you, Lord. God, you said to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, and be fully committed followers of you. And I wonder if someone watching the service online or listen to this sermon here in the building. Maybe they've been a quarter of the way in or halfway in or three quarters of the way in, but God, you want us to be all in. God, maybe someone never knew what you called them to, but God, now we know. And we just declare we want to be all in for Jesus. God, there's no eternal life without complete surrender to you. So we surrender to you this morning. If you're here today and maybe you've never gone all in for Jesus, maybe you've never begun a relationship with Christ, maybe at one time you were on fire for God, but you've walked away from him. You've turned your back on him, and, but God's got you here, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. But 
just got to respond to the message. No eternal life without being born again. I didn't make that up. Jesus said it in John 3, 3. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say unless you join the church, unless you read your Bible, and unless you're born again. What does that mean? Well, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you'll believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you will be saved or born again. And the word belief there isn't just like, I believe that there's a God out there. It's like, no, it's fully surrendering your life to Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. Listen, the command has been clear. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. I did that in 1985. I want you to do that today. I'd be honored to pray with you. There's a lot of different ways to respond to the invitation, but here's how I want to do it in this service. I want you to stand to your feet right now. And by that you're saying, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I heard what the cost is, and I'm going all in for Jesus Christ. Let's go and stand up all over the building. Thank you, Lord. Now, this is amazing to me because last week in both of our services, we had over 100 people respond to the invitation. And last service alone, somebody told me there's about 50 people. And there's more in this service. All in for Jesus. Here's what I believe. Just as you stood to your feet, Jesus, who was seated at the right hand of the Father, stood to his feet. Because I know that because in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was being stoned, he was the very first martyr. He was killed for his faith. As he took his last breath, the Bible says that Jesus stood in heaven. It's the only time you see Jesus standing. Why was Jesus standing in heaven? Because Stephen was standing for him on the earth. And anytime you stand for him on the earth, Jesus stands for you in heaven. And I honor you. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your courage. Everybody standing right here, some of them standing, it's the very first time. Others, you're rededicating your life to Christ. Others are saying, you know what, I've been like 50%. I need to be 100%. Thank you for that. I want to have just those that are standing to their feet, and there's probably 100 people. I want you to repeat after me. Father in heaven, today, on January 29th, 2023, I turn from my sin, I turn from my ways, and I say yes to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart. I will follow you all the days of my life. Today, I deny myself. Today, I die to myself. And today... I say yes to Jesus Christ. And it's in your name I pray. Everyone said amen. Hold on, before we do anything, I want you to stay standing. The Bible says that when you stood to your feet, you had old things are passed away. That means your past is gone. Some of you standing had an abortion. Some of you could have murdered someone. Some of you have major addiction. Some of you injured someone, hurt someone. Some of you spent time in jail or prison. Guess what? All that doesn't mean anything anymore. So you have a new destiny. You have a new destiny. And listen, if you're like, man, I don't know if God can forgive me. Well, let's just kind of go through the Bible. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, killed Christians before he came one. 
I, I doubt anybody standing has probably killed Christians for a living. And he was probably outside of Jesus, the greatest Christian that ever lived. So you say, man, there's, I can't forgive myself. Then that means your standard of forgiveness is higher than God's. God will forgive anything in this room. And I just want everybody standing to look at me. Listen, I, I just, I applaud you. I thank God for your boldness. And you could have had like the worst life leading up to this day. But listen, starting today, you're going to have the best life. You, got, you have a new, listen, you have a new family of people all around you. You have a home in heaven. And listen, it doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. But you're going to still have problems, but you'll have someone that will walk through those problems with you. His name is Jesus Christ. So just stay standing for a second. I want everybody else to just look around the room at your new family members. All these people that stood to their feet. And let's join the applause that's going on in heaven right now. And let's thank God for each and every one of them.